Hello and welcome to the Lock In Podcast, the show that lifts the lid on life in the pub trade by those working in it. We're going to be talking about pub food in this week's episode and we're delighted to be recording this at the UK's number one gastro pub, the Unruly Pig in Suffolk. We'll be chatting with the guys from the pub later and we've actually got uh, uh, Brendan with us from uh, Brendan Padfield from the Unruly Pig now, so he'll be joining us throughout the podcast. Um, in the meantime, we do have to make do with my top two sidekicks, James Cuthbertson and Heath Ball. Uh, James and Heath, known as the little and large of the pub industry, take a strong interest in food. I would say unhealthy, but James is unwell, so I'm not going to be mean. Um, his Highgate pub is also in the top 50 gastro pit, uh, gastropub list, albeit a long way down from the unruly thing. Uh, something we remind him about on a regular basis. Uh, actually, you're, you're better now. This isn't as good a joke, because you've actually climbed up the list. climbed up the ladder. You've, you went from 30-odd to 16. Yeah, so. bounce around the list all the time, mate, but... Uh, Number number sixteen. Number sixteen. is good middle of the pack it's, it's, sort of action. It's, it's average, isn't it? You know, it's we're not we're not too gastro. We just you know yeah. a bunch of good looking people serving food. Well, some of that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but not all of it. So, um, James sadly is uh, having to dial into this podcast as he's malingering with COVID. But we promised to show him pictures of the lovely food we're going to be eating just so he doesn't feel left out. So, uh, Thank you, uh, how, how are I'm things? I'm glad to still be able to make it. That's no. great. You know, I'd hate to miss this this week. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's good to have you here in, in some... Well, I'd say it's good to have you. It isn't really, is it? But um, Are you, are you in the me. bathroom? What is that wallpaper behind you, James? Um, no, I'm just in the dining room. Oh, no. okay, well. It's not my choice. I mean, it's, it's a good podcast joke because they can't actually see the. Uh, I know, but it's like, terrible. It's, it is yeah. terrible, yes. Yeah, it's the uh, flock, Sorry, the flock velvet. Uh, so it's the ducks going up the wall behind it. No, I don't like it. So, anyway, uh, gents, welcome. Well, one of you at least. James, try not to cough too much and die quietly. I think that's the, uh, the best advice in this episode. So, we're going to be talking about food in this week's episode. As I said, we've got Brendan Padfield from the Unruly Pig joining us. So, welcome, Brendan. Thanks, sir. It's lovely having you here in Suffolk. Thanks for coming. Yeah, well, it's great to be here. Uh, we're all going to be talking about all things gastropub. We'll also be speaking to up-and-coming superstar chef Ruth Hanson of the Princess of Shoreditch. And we'll be chatting about dark kitchens and the opportunities for pubs with Rich Craig of Big Smoke. Uh, but first up, um, let's take a look at what's going on in the world of pubs at the moment, as we always do. Let's have a look at some of the topical things. Now, guys, what, what's, uh, what's caught your attention this week? What's been, uh, what's been in the news? Electricity bills, power bills, yeah. the war... <laughs> a small thing of third third world war. Yeah, yeah. Well, the war, wheat, wheat, wheat prices, pasta yeah. costs coming up. Yeah. You know, I mean, are you are you seeing that? Is that is that starting to filter through? Uh, electricity prices, certainly. Yeah. Energy prices, uh, no. Wheat prices, in truth, not. But it, 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 it can't it can't be long. I mean, I was chatting to um, Stosey at the uh, the Parkers on mm. number two on the list um, for the review of the week the other day, and she was saying, you know, just the the things cooking oil things have just kind of spiralled upwards it's uh, it's quite challenging well it's 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 really challenging because uh, there is still this bit of a disconnect between uh, the global supply brexit issues soon to be ukraine though suddenly maybe that will focus more in people's minds and and i keep hearing too often why are you putting your prices up Mm. And you, you feel like saying really, but there is this slight disconnect, and that is despite people walking into supermarkets every day and seeing sort of rampant inflation, but there's somehow some expectation that we're able to contain that or immune to it absorb in, in part in, or mm. absorb the cost. And that, and as for the VAT lift at the end of the month, that mm. is completely lost on society, and it's sort of, 
you know, that's your problem. Get on with it. Well, it won't be when it comes in, though, will it? No, it it's, won't. So then it's gonna, you are going to see prices come in. I mean, that's, uh, we'll probably touch on that um, a, a bit later on the VET. I mean, the, the, the scary thing for me, actually, we've had, we've had a number of pubs actually saying that um, getting in touch saying energy pl- uh, supplies are actually refusing yeah. to supply pubs because we're deemed high risk. Yeah, I, I saw I saw that today, and I think for for startup pubs with with no history, with no credit history, that is going to be a big issue because suddenly, what was an expensive item becomes a huge and weighty mm. item. Mm. Um, but but let, let, let's see how that develops. But yeah, that's that's an interesting development. That is must be a first for startup pubs. Who would have thought of it when I opened the Unruly Pigs uh, six years ago that I'd be saying that you have, I've got to pay eleven k up front? Yeah, mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, and they're asking for that kind of money in deposit, aren't they? Which is, which is terrifying. But I mean, it's not even just starting. some of these places are established pubs. They're just saying hospitality is off, oh, really? off, high risk, off yeah. the books yeah. as uh, a whole, not just the pub, the whole industry. We mm. are high risk because of COVID. They don't want to. It's touch funny us. though, isn't it? They can see how much trouble we're in. Yet Rishi Sunak can't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. we all know we're in trouble. We need a bit more support. We'll just give us the VAT at twelve and a half percent. Oh, imagine five percent for a, you know a bit longer. Just to help us out, but the government don't care. They never understood what we do, and they don't care. That's the predicament we're in. We've heard that phrase before, haven't we, James? What's that? Government don't care. It's almost tattooed on your forehead. Well, they, I just think we're on our own. I really do think we're on our well, own. I, don't I mean, think interesting, they do care. interesting enough that, that brings with we've, we've got the budget next week. Oh yeah, that's going to be um, amazing, isn't it? So it's always full yeah. of good news. Always full of good news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Brendan, what, what are you? Do you hold out any hope on VAT? None at all. None. None at all. I think that. I mean, if I'm being a, a, a counsel for the prosecution here, uh, they're in they're in shit street. Uh, we're in debt. The NHS, the levies coming in, that will be pissed up against the wall. There will be that that won't improve efficiency. And now we've all got to increase defence expenditure. Not a hope in hell. That's uh, less optimistic than I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> you are optimistic on the train up. Uh, no, I, you yeah, seem to I think mean, there's, there's a chance. There's, I'm, I'm, I, I hold. I, I was. I was a bit like you, very right. pessimistic. Thought we don't stand a chance. They don't care. They think they've given us enough support. The rest of it. But I think with everything that's going on, all the cost increases, everything that's coming in, I just wonder whether they'll they'll look at it. No. And go, Do we need to? We we can maybe generate more rent because we put the up twenty percent. You're going to pass the price on. We're probably going to see a drop in drop in spend from consumers. So they're getting impacted from all sides. Surely to keep it at a level where pubs and hospitality remains an affordable treat generates more tax. Well, there is there is that theory that, that might be. I would yeah. hope that somebody might make that that yeah. equation in a way that they probably wouldn't have done a few weeks back. But with everything that's happened, you kind of go right. Okay, consumers are being hammered left, right, and centre. Let's try and soften the blow of the, the NI increase by not increasing the AT. Well, there is that tried and tested theory that I'm not intelligent enough to uh, quote the theorem, but it's uh, the more you put up taxes, the less the income can be, and they've seen that on stamp duty. Mm. So suddenly, counsel for uh, Rishi Sunak over there is may- maybe so. I mean, I, that, 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 that's, uh, that's a great point, um, but uh, looking at history, I, uh, I'm not putting any money on it. I was going to say, don't hold me to it, no. because frankly, I'm probably talking out my arse. However, you know, uh, like I said, I was completely pessimistic. Now I, I see a. If they're not going to, if they're not going to come on, if they're not going to do the national insurance, they're not going to stop that. They're not going to give us the pubs at twenty percent. I, I think we're so far away from the top of the agenda. If you look at the uh, the nation as a whole, there's three things: the war, 
of course that's you know right there it's um home electricity and you know fuel bills yeah. and it's petrol yeah um uh, of petrol 75 percent of that is tax 57 so they want to make a difference to that it's not is it 50 it's 57, 57. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. 57 okay so they can make a real big difference to the price of the pumps there but you know that they can do that tomorrow but then it needs the retailers to play the game too um and they just let that go because the longer that goes the longer it takes the more percentage they're getting so yeah, they're getting more money I don't know. I think yeah exactly so like, there's no incentive to do this I, I think i think the war's a, a great um uh, a great um thing Structure. you know look over here yeah and we're still not you even know, talking james we're still not even talking about business rates yet no do you no. know what i mean that's not even on the, that's just falling off the side we're you know, we're at war with Ukraine. Well, not at war with Ukraine, but where there's a war going on. So now all this sort of stuff's just getting hidden, getting pushed aside. Mm-hmm. If only we could get the oligarch money and, uh, you know, start to reinvest that into some good stuff or pay off COVID debts, that'd be handy. I, I but we won't go against them because we'll get screwed. Mm-hmm. At its most cynical, um, are they going to get more votes through petrol duty or helping out hospitality? There's, yeah, there's, was, there's the question and the answer. Well, exactly. I mean that. That yeah. But I mean, what are they going to do on fuel? Ultimately, you know, they they might knock a few pence off. And what's that when it's gone from sort of one thirty, one forty to one eighty? I mean, it's nothing, is it? Mm. So I don't know. I mean, that or you can still go and have a nice time out of the pub at, uh, at cheaper price. It swings around about. Swings around about. I think in, in the, 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 the the leverage of we're the third biggest in, in employment sector in the country. That's fine, but. Today, the official employment figures are unemployment figures are down to 3.8%, which is effectively full employment. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I fear we've lost some leverage. And we've got no leverage anyway. Yeah. Kate, Kate can go there and do all these meetings and hold all these posters up and all this sort of stuff. She's got no sway at all in government. None at all. She sits there on Twitter all day, but there's nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. We shall see what happens in the uh, in the budget. Right now. So, I'm, I'm holding out. Hope. I'm holding out hope. I'm conscious of time, but the the other thing that, that struck me was the uh, the gin bubble popping. Uh, oh, I don't know. I saw that Gordon's have brought out a new passion fruit flavored gin. Saved it. It's done. Oh, it's done. It. Saved it. I'm no. off. I keep forgetting he's there. He keeps popping up on the screen. It's freaking me out. Um, used to having your dad beside me, but um, I'm 38% decline in gin sales. And apparently, also saw something today. Uh, vodka sales are starting to overtake gin. Well, maybe that's just I don't that's know. Russian. That's Russian. <laughs> what they're drinking their way out of the war. It's, it's like Ukrainian vodka that we're all uh, rushing to support. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, are you seeing that? No, no we, but we've got straw in our here, ears here in Suffolk. No, but where where London leads, we follow about five years later. So no, we're not. We're still, not. Gin is still booming. Isn't gin, it? gin, gin. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Heath? You're in London. Well, really I mean, you don't, you talk you're, the, you're all about wine, aren't you? I'm all about wine. Shut up, James, we're talking. <laughs> um, yeah, people still, you know, in gin and tonics, I suppose it's just, it's culturally there now. Whether it's a drop, maybe it was just too trendy. A lot of people got into it and started drinking it and didn't like it. Mm. And they've moved away from it. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, James, I, I will come to you. Dad? No, I, 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 the, kids are, the kids are drinking vodka now, aren't they? More than ever. But yeah. you find, if you look at the guys in the pub, if you ask them what they drink, it's a vodka and something. Um... I think it's just a lack of finesse, really. Just go for something that's going to get them drunk. Yeah, but gin is basically flavoured vodka anyway. Sure. True. But you have to think about gin. I'm sure the manufacturers of gin will love you saying that. But, um, but it's true, though, isn't it? Well, it's, it's vodka. Distilled. It's made fla- from gin. No, made it, from vodka, sorry. Ed, you need to go and have an education. It's not. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, obviously, he's other than the guys at Heppel who make it, you know, beautifully. <laughs> 
this we were there the other day. So, shout yeah, out to the guys at Apple. Yeah, thanks for the free say, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe I was invited on that trip, which, uh, so I'm going to edit that out of the podcast because <laughs> it's my podcast. Right, brilliant. Let's leave that one there, shall invited, we? Never reinvited. <laughs> Moving on. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast, and we're recording this episode at the fantastic Unruly Pick in Bromswell, Suffolk, the UK's number one gastropub on the MA's Australia Dam Top 50 Gastropub list. Hosting of this fantastic site is owner and all-round good egg, Brendan Padfield. Notice I'm nice to Brendan, Heath, and James. It's a, I'd like to be nice to the guests, not to you two. So, we're going to be chatting about all things food and pubs. Thanks for having us, Brendan. Uh, absolute delight. Brilliant. Um, so, I mean, Star, just tell us a bit about the Unruly Pig and, and how she came out. You started out as a solicitor, I believe. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, how, how'd you go from, uh, uh, God from being, knows. Uh, one of those to running a pub? Uh, well, I got at 55 and um, I bored my wife about food and drink all of my life. And, uh, and then she said something which I can't really repeat in literally, but it was, Are you going to do something about this? Or if not, shut the whatever up about it because you bored me senseless. And that was the boot up the arse. And, and she's and regretted it, it ever since. No, she, she <laughs> has actually because uh, yeah, we, we, in those pre-covid days you'd land at Stansted in the, 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 it's on that cheap Ryan Air lo- location because that's what we do and uh, she'd say you're not going to that effing pub are you of course I'm going to the effing pub I love the effing pub you know oh, no. I've never had such a great time in all my life and people will say Jesus the unsocial hours and the strains yeah the stresses and strains but the truth is if you have no passion for what you do and that's what I did for 36 years and people say well what did you do the law for 36 years how long do you need to think about why I did it for 36 years? It's called the money. <laughs> and um, uh, we uh, opened the Unruly Pig, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet Dave, the head chef, who used to work with Ramsey and, uh, by, by Bendham and the Tollbooth, and, and the rest is history. The, the, you know, it hasn't been all plain sailing, but look, when you think about the woes and the slings and arrows we've all faced in uh, hospitality, and you say, why the hell do we do it? We know why we do it. Because nothing is better than the buzz of a busy pub on a Saturday night and the smiles and the thanks. And, you know, I swan around like a chocolate teapot. I'm not sure that metaphor works, but they do all the hard work. But, you know, when people come up and shake my hand and say, yeah, team's great. Well, my ego is such, I love it. And that's why we do it. I mean, you're you're, you're that classic, almost cautionary tale that we we talked about. Lots of people retire from from something. Please, I'm going to open a pub. I want to do it. Yeah. And it goes drastically wrong, and it's disastrous. And yeah, why? Why? I, I, well, I, I don't know I mean, because you've, I'm, you've yeah. I mean, this you're right because uh, because um, if I had a fiver for every banker and lawyer, oh, I want to open a wine bar or a restaurant <laughs> or a bar, but you'd say, you know, I'd be an extremely rich man. Um, I, I think because somebody like Heath and James and you, you, you have evident passion in what you do. I, I have a genuine interest in it. But I was lucky. My, 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 my firm of lawyers were sort of, they were <laughs> avaricious sharks. And, and we were taught well about, you know, running a business and, and managing people and managing margin and market positioning. And I think those transferable skills have have served as well. But why have we succeeded? It's not because, you know, this isn't false modesty. It's because I've got Dave Wall and Carl Green, who've been with me for over seven years, six years, uh, from the outset. And the truth is, I'm very little without them. Um, and they've set the standard of food, and we've got on with it. 
and I drive them batty. They, they think I'm a bit weird and quirky, and I'm a bit weird and quirky, and the pub's weird and quirky. So I set the ideal for the pub. I've given them autonomy. He's succeeded. He's risen to the challenge. I mean, what kind of maverick would come and work for me? You know, oh, God, there's some bloody lawyer who thinks he can run a bloody pub. Whatever. He's plainly bonkers. Well, I'm a bit bonkers, but thank God I did it, because to have gone to my grave without saying, I wanted to do that in life, and, and not, not having that, and I have done it. So, Absolutely. but why have we succeeded? The truth is uh, because I got some great chefs. Yes, and behind every good operator is a great chef, and I'm looking at Heath on this. And we'll talk about that later. I think. <laughs> That's we'll, my we'll, wife. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll not get into that one. Well, we are here to talk about food. Um, I mean, uh, gastro pubs have become a huge thing in recent years, and, and many pubs will make the claim to be gastro pubs, yeah. rightly or wrongly. What what actually is a gastro pub? I mean, for 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 you. Brendan, I mean... Uh, okay, what well, is a gastropod for me? It has to be high-end quality cooking. It doesn't mean to say that you don't have to be... don't have to be snotty, don't have to be uh, not, you know, accessible because we, we've still got steak on the menu. But it's about a, a focus on less is more, less smaller menus turning out fresh seasonal food there are gastropubs up and down the country doing that but isn't the essence of it that there's an innate informality that you can come in and have a pint of Estrella before you have to move on to a glass of Poligny oh, nice product placement nice product <laughs> placement <laughs> thank you Estrella <laughs> um, that's what it is isn't it about as a society a society gets less deferential you know do I, is there a place for a restaurant going out and having uh, you know, a stuffy meal? Yeah, of course there is. But I want to go and eat in a place that's informal, that mm. has a good vibe, that can, you can still get stonking food. That's why it's succeeding. It's finding its niche. Is, is that what separates a, a, a gastro pub from a restaurant, though? Because it, yeah. it's that lack yeah. of stuffiness, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but it's also that you know, you're not walking up, there's another host. You're not told where to... You know what I mean? It's more informal. Yeah. Yeah. It's more casual, more relaxed. You, you feel at home. I think that's what it is. A restaurant, you you know where you're going. Interesting that you say that. So do you think that, 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 that COVID has changed that? Because we've seen a real shift in, obviously, to table service in pubs of all stripes. And you say there's no host. Mm-hmm. Other pubs going to, I mean, yours, uh, you know, generally, the, the I've the always done table you've service, to, though. But you've got to go in and see someone to be seated there. Yeah, so no, do we you do, think that's yeah, going to impact yeah, on Yeah, but I think, I think it's something that, People have always want, they've always wanted to be looked after, and I think they're so used to just going to the bar to get their drinks, and suddenly like, you know what, take a seat, we'll look after you. And that, that's yeah. been the great thing. People are like, oh, okay, actually, I'll sit down. I don't have to go and get my drinks. Mm. It's more, you're hosting them more, you're looking after them more. Yeah. So I, think, I don't think it's a bad thing. There's, there's been more structure, because you had to have more structure for safety and putting people's minds at rest, but... Those have done it well. We've come out of it in a really good way. I think the customer experience is far better mm. with a little bit of formality. But I take for it's still a relaxed place. It's still, you know, you're not being over fussed over, and it's just, it's just the, you know, the ties off. It's, no, it's no tablecloths. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean it's you just do like have to wear shoes, James. Let's just remember that. So ideally, the sun does. That's why I don't have the New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Uh, uh, Food in pubs generally, I mean, what, what are your views of, of, of the pub food sector? Well, I, if, I, if I can narrow that down to gastro pubs, I, I think the, the time is of the moment. I, I think this is uh, their, their time, not just because of that gradual 
societal uh, uh, shift for, for a rest, less deferential society, more informal society. Um, I actually think there's been a focus. Uh, Heath and I were discussing this earlier about a higher spend. People have been cooped up. They are realising that it is great to go out. They are prepared to spend higher and want... Well, they're going to have to. Well, they're going to have to in any event... But there has also been a qualitative shift. And if you looked at uh, you know, the recent stats from Waitrose, they're saying so many people are buying Oberico or ham or whatever. Mm. There has been a shift up during COVID because a lot of people are being cooped up. And, and I think that feeds straight into the gastropub hands. They still want the informality. They want to go out. They want a great experience. They want a higher quality experience. You, you go to the Red Lion and in, in, in Sun in Highgate, you get great food and you get superb wines. That, that's what people want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what about the, on the lower strata? So, I mean, is it, it, we and also, I mean, we, we prior to, to COVID, we were seeing a um, a, a resurgence in the wet lead um, wet lead pub. I mean, that's prior to COVID, though. It was prior to COVID, yeah. so it'd be interesting to see where where that goes. And but food had become a really integral. So, smoking ban came in. People mm. needed to, to, to sort of drag people, give people reasons to come to the pub, and food became a big part of it. And there's still a lot of operators that kick against that to a certain extent, mm. kind of like, yeah, you know, pop shouldn't be about food. Um, but, I mean, where, where do you see it going? Um, well, I, I, I wonder whether at the, the if you like, the, um, the non-gastro pub end, whether the demands upon them are also going to be equally higher, because the standard... Um, if I could call it the more standard offerings of pork belly fish and chips, which I love, you know, sticky toffee pudding, chocolate brownie, all of the things I indulge in. Uh, the, the truth is that those are not differentiators and those units that are just pushing out the same as everybody else are inevitably going to be challenged on price. Mm. So I would see that the growth for differentiation, even within the branded sector, mm. is inevitably upwards. Yes. Yeah. Where do you think pubs could improve and I'm not talking necessarily top end gastro pubs but within the mainstream kind of uh, stop buying frozen food yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean cook it yourselves even if you do a smaller menu just buy fresh stop buying breaks sorry breaks but you have to probably edit that out but like um, do you know what I mean like try and just buy fresh ingredients and you don't have to be clever you can do buy a, fresh food from breaks I you mean, can but okay well do, do so just do a really good burger go for, go for for a fresher food yeah go fresh yeah. you know and don't don't compromise on quality if the, the bun on your burger is stale don't serve it do you know what I mean just have better standards yeah I, 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 we talk a lot about operators having to have multi-skills don't we and having to have a passion of food I think that now you just need to. I mean, you can't get away with just ticking a box. We talked about this with Ryan last week um, or the other week. But I think the danger is, of course, you've got the skill shortage of chefs. I know we'll talk about that at another point, but it doesn't help. It, it doesn't help trying to raise the bar. And you then default back to something that's very basic and frankly underwhelming. But there's also, there's also a place for, you know, simple, straightforward, you know, uh, I mean, you look at the casual dining market, you know, single cuisine kind of focus, you know, pizzas, burgers. To, to, if you're going to do it, do just do one thing, but do it well. Is that well, uh, the place? I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be fancy. Tailing into Heath's point, he's, he's absolutely right. Less is more. Mm. Focus on the quality. Mm. 25% of all pub meals are burgers uh, officially. Mm. Just make it a great burger. Mm. The boozer I go down to in Woodbridge, the local town to me, lovely panelled old sailors pub, 
um, they might serve frozen uh, frozen chips, but the burger's great, and the Massaman curry he serves is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and I think what people are getting inured to is the freezer fryer fork long menu brigade. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, which, yeah, brown food. Has, has, yeah, brown food, yeah, beige, all that kind of thing. And they're trying to keep everybody happy, aren't they? Yes, they want grandma to come in and enjoy that. They want the son to enjoy that. They've got to. But we can overthink it. I mean, a, a great example. I, I was trying to get them onto this, but I haven't been able to. But the the, the, the guy up in uh, Harrogate that that has a bar with no kitchen, yet wanted to do a food offer just to in, to, to increase dwell time and things. So posh pot noodles, kettle behind the bar, you know, a little toasty oven, do little pizzas or toasties, things like this. Expected to do sort of a few hundred quid, you know, a month in it. He was doing sort of several thousand a week. Yeah, it's that kind of. That's a simple. Doesn't that prove the proposition, really, that he's expounding that it's less is more? Yes. Because the quality of what he was delivering, it was done, it was instant, it was fresh inverted commas, so to speak. <laughs> okay, but at least it fresh was there. Fresh Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, but the quality would have been okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it doesn't have to. I mean, that's, I guess that's my point. It doesn't have to be the highest. No sort of end cuisine as uh, Heath you, you would uh, yeah no but I'm saying like, like what we do at the Red it's not high end cuisine it's like the food no, today we've had is amazing but what we do is it's just honest and we're using the best tomatoes we can get we, you know what I mean it's just it's just don't cut corners don't buy shit like, and that's why you're best. number 16 and he's number 1 <laughs> yeah but, but, but hang on whoa 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 my, my, my chef and my restaurant manager were at the Red Lion and Sun and they said these bloody clams they were the best we've tasted this year it's, it's a focus it's exactly what he yeah. says <laughs> oh, I like being quality yeah, you're a bully I'm going to cry <laughs> right I'm <laughs> conscious we're, we're out of time on this bit but uh, let's park that one there and uh, Brenda will be joining us uh, for some of the sessions in a thank while. you very much You're listening to the Lock In Podcast and we're talking pub food in this week's episode. To help us do that, we've got one of the UK's brightest chefs joining us, Ruth Hanson, named Best Newcomer in the Top 50 Gastropubs list and Head Chef at the highly acclaimed Princess of Shoreditch in, oddly enough, Shoreditch. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. It's tough. So, I mean, let, 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 let's kick off. I mean, you're... You're one of uh, one of the sort of uh, young chefs that people are talking about. You know, you're you're making waves. What what why why have you chosen to come into the pub sector over over say more traditional restaurants? What what's appealing to you about that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me it was definitely kind of how I grew up. You know, in the northeast, um, we maybe didn't go to really kind of restaurants that often. If we did eat out, it was at pubs, um, and just always having those memories. Um, I did want to get a good grounding, so obviously going to the Ritz and kind of learning all the classical um, fine dining things does help you then to be able to kind of be able to deliver pub food, like traditional recipes, but with that understanding and the grounding behind them. So, I mean, was it a conscious decision to, to, to come into the pub sector or is it more, more a, a, a happy coincidence? Um, I think it was a coincidence. I knew I wanted to do something a bit more relaxed that was... Um, more focused on getting the best produce and not doing so much to it. You know, we're not getting rulers out and things here, um, but really, you know, going to the suppliers and working really closely with them and using the best produce we can. And that goes hand in hand with kind of not having to mess around with it that much. Uh, and tell us a little bit about the Princess of Shoreditch, because I assume you're coming after Brendan's crown in the uh, top 50 gastropubs list here. So. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so we have like two different offerings here. Uh, downstairs in the bar is kind of a lot more of your classical pub 
uh, dishes that you'd see with prawn cocktails. Uh, we make our own charcuterie and beef wellingtons and things like that. Um, and then upstairs we do a tasting menu, so it's five or eight courses. But having the two really allows us to kind of buy a lot of animals in holes. We get a lot of deer um, coming in from um, Windsor Park. He kind of brings his Range Rover down, opens the back, and says, like, what do you want out of here? Um, so we can buy a lot of things in hole, utilize kind of the bits that we want upstairs, and make sure we use everything else for what's going on downstairs. Fantastic. And, I mean... It, it, what, what, how do you see the, the pub food sector generally? I mean, you're very much at the top end. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on, on pubs? What, what are they getting right with food? What are they getting wrong, do you think? Yeah, I think um, obviously people just, they do want comfort food when they go to a pub. They want that nostalgia. And I think maybe what some people, I mean, personally, I do kind of believe it should be classical British, uh, you know, food. People are kind of bringing spring rolls and things in, which... It's okay if that's what they want to do, but I think we should try and stick to, you know, a British, a pub is British uh, and we should try and stick to our heritage and kind of really kind of showcase that as best we can. I mean, Brendan, just to bring you in, I mean, you're, you're, you, you've got a little bit of an infusion, haven't you? I think you called it uh, Britalian. We have, we have. <laughs> I, 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 only just to accentuate the difference. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bit of a Venn diagram with Ruth there in the sense of it is fresh, seasonal British food. Really like what Ruth said about the whole deer. We just had one delivered uh, the other day, and, and, and we very much uh, do the, do the same in terms of of, of the, the cheaper cuts on the set menu, etc. But why we've done that is just to uh, the Britalian bit is to accentuate the difference, really. And, and because around here, when I did some of the uh, menu analysis and competitor analysis, a surprising amount of people were serving the same dishes. Now in London, that that's that's not true. So that, that's why we've gone for that slight fusion thing. Mm. Uh, and Heath, you don't really go for that that whole carcass approach, do you? I mean, you're, you're in uh, uh, in Highgate. I mean, you've got the, yeah. the, the Heath around you. You could probably go and hunt your own, couldn't you? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't. We, we've got a very small kitchen. We're lucky to have a really good butcher <laughs> on our high street, so we can buy animals, whole animals, and he will butcher them down for us and store it. And we just go and draw down when we need. But we don't. We don't have space here. We're a really small kitchen. Yeah. Mm. I, I really think the, the, you're, I mean, to point out the obvious, you are a woman. Um, you are uh, uh, in the minority in in um, in this profession. To to uh, is that something that um, you know? You, how, how's that experience been for you being being in that position? Would you say? Yeah, I think I get asked this quite a lot, and I think maybe I've just been very lucky that you know I've never kind of been in a kitchen where. I've really felt, obviously it has been the case, you know, when I was in the Ritz, I was, when I first started, I was the only female in the hot kitchen. Mm. Um, but I never really kind of felt that, you know, there was banter and things that went around, but never really felt, felt this kind of segregation. Um, obviously, I know it is difficult and that's kind of, I want to ensure that's kind of what I'm working with lots of different people to ensure that, you know, every female has that. Because I know there are some kitchens where they do get singled out and separated and maybe left out. Um or you know any abuse kind of thrown around um and i think it's really important that us as females that have kind of gone through the right path are then showing other women that you know there is ways that you can select the right kitchens and and also like teach men that you know maybe they don't know that some things that they're saying are wrong mm. i think you know it's it's one thing saying to a woman or do xyz with these comments but maybe it's actually on the other hand, teaching the men that actually that's, you know, and not to blame them. They might not know that 
you know, it's offensive or it's wrong, and just highlighting that maybe it is. What, what do you? Th- why do you think that there's not more women coming into the sector, though? It's, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's um, I think a lot of it. Yeah. For me, I feel like a lot of it is kind of the work-life balance if they're wanting to have a family. Because I think you see a lot of them, you know, I was at Future Chef competition on Monday and 90% of them were females. And I think at that level, they enjoy it and they find it fun. And then when they start to kind of go to the college and maybe come into, into a working environment, they kind of think, wow, how am I supposed to have a family and start family in this, you know, in this kind of work-life balance? So I think we need to be a bit more open to that, be flexible as employers um, yeah, just trying to get people in. I mean, just a quick straw poll of of, of our, our guys here, Heath, James, and, and Brendan. Do you have any female staff in the mm-hmm. kitchens? Yeah, uh, yep. we we have uh, we have three female chefs. So I, mean, I was listening with interest to what Ruth said. I mean, uh, I did something else for thirty six years, and when I entered that malarkey, uh, there were no women partners uh, in the firm that I worked in. My wife became the first women partner. And sometimes it's just when, I, and, and that was sadly the law, but the law was considered to be really fusty and behind the times and sexist and misogynist. And maybe some of that is true of, of catering, but it was just the evolution of time, the sheer numbers and, 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 and labor resource force that they had to wake up to the fact that 50% of their labor resource was women and they were equally, if not more talented. And I, Look at my old firm now and look at where it was only 25 years ago. And it's dramatically different. And it may just be that hospitality is a bit on the drag. Yeah. I mean, James Heath, what, what, what's your uh, yeah, sort of... We've got probably one of the youngest general managers in the country in our manager in Hayward Teeth, Lydia. And she's, you know, fantastic. Um, I, think, I, think the, I think things are balancing out a bit and you're being judged on well, at least in the, in the culture that we, you know, and she's currently studying for a degree with us. And I, yeah, hopefully things are changing. They, they ought to. And I think we are probably more progressive as an industry, um, I think, because you're judged on graft mm. and um, an ability, I hope. At least that's the culture that we want to, you know, we want to, I think, want to nurture. Yeah, I think, I think Ruth hit the nail on the head when she was sort of talking about that, that work-life balance as well, because I think that we see within, within our trade generally sort of um, women progress to a certain level and then they sort of stop because, like you say, Ruth, they, they then think, right, well, I'll, I'll have a family. And then that becomes that barrier that stops them moving further mm-hmm. up that chain. Um, and, I mean, we're talking about the chef crisis and the recruitment crisis and things like that. And, I mean, this is, this is a huge sort of market that we're, we're missing out on because we're maybe not getting those, um, those employment practices right. And, and I think that may force the pace because I, I hesitate to draw the comparison. It's, it's definitely apples and pears, but that's what forced the pace 20 years ago because... The, the law was going through boom times and there simply weren't enough bodies. And that, it, it forced the dinosaurs to change their attitude. Mm, mm. I'm not looking at you, Heath, there at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're we're across to the time. Sorry, James. Go on. Uh, across the time. Um, no, I just said it's not an industry where work-life 
Balance is great. So yeah. no, it's so, it, it's not, and it's it, it's probably a bigger issue. Something we, we we need to address on on a whole, not just in kitchens. I think across the piece, it's it is particularly acute in kitchens. I think with um, with shift patterns and things like that, which people are starting to recognise, and and um, it, that's good to see. But yeah, this it is an issue we've got to, to address. Just just because of time, so just just to finish off, Ruth uh, and Brendan, actually, I mean, if if you were going to give sort of a, a a bit of advice to uh, two pubs on sort of upping their game on their food offer what what would that be Ruth do you want to take that one start uh, yeah I mean for me it is really looking at seasonality working with and working with suppliers get the best produce in that you can um, and it already you know stands you in a good stead um, you know consumers are constantly wanting to know where things are from the story behind things and being able to uh, offer them that and say you know I know the name of the guy that grew this whatever it may be, or read this, whatever it may be. Um, really having that connection with the suppliers that you can pass on to the consumer. Fantastic. And Brenda? Uh, I, I would concur with all of that, but I'd just like to echo what he said earlier today, and, and that is effectively less is sometimes more. Um, reduce the menus. Um, pub grub can be great. Just make it even greater by focusing, as Ruth says, on, on the quality of the ingredients and making the best burger, the best steak and kidney pie, the best fish and chips. That would be my very clear advice. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, guys, that's all we've got time for now. So thank you very much. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast with myself, Ed Beddington, Heathball and James Cuthbertson. We're focusing this episode on food and one area that we're seeing growth and interest in is dark kitchens or virtual kitchens. Some even call them ghost kitchens, but don't be scared, Heath. Uh, To talk us through how all this works, we've got Rich Craig from Big Spank, who runs several dark kitchens from their site. So, Rich, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Right, um, I mean... Let's just start off, because I think, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Um, what actually is a dark kitchen? How does it work from your perspective? Uh, so a dark kitchen is a kitchen that appears on uh, delivery or another takeaway platform, but doesn't sort of appear anywhere else. So it's almost like a, it's a, a secret kitchen that you don't necessarily openly advertise uh, as being part of your existing business. And it just yeah ex- exists solely on, on uh, takeaway platforms like delivery and Uber Eats. Etc. So, I mean, what are you guys doing? How, how many of these are you running? What are you? What, what's uh, what's what's happening in that space for you? Uh, so, I suppose we started with uh, dark ki- dark kitchen adventure as a as a um, as a result of the first lockdown. Um, as every you know, everyone in the hospitality industry who, who had um, shut pubs and shut kitchens and chefs on furlough were looking for. You know, ways to ways to create revenue and and ways to stay busy. I suppose um, for a lot of people, because you know, people who work in hospitality are, are used to long hours and mm. used, to, used to working hard. And so, I think for many of us who are who think of ourselves as entrepreneurs, we're sort of looking at for an outlet for that. So, um, and, and just to have the real estate sitting there, you know, not doing anything. Um, so, for us, we initially started uh, working with. Um, a company uh, called Tiny Cloud, who run uh, sort of Chinese or, or Pan Asian um, kitchens, and so w- when we walked into our pubs during that lockdown, we they looked like uh, sort of Chinese wholesalers or takeaways. Right. Was, there were boxes everywhere of of uh, sauces and and all sorts of things, and we invested in steamers and you know freezers and all sorts of other equipment. So we spent quite a lot of money actually getting our pubs 
into you know completely changing them into Chinese takeaways. Uh, and, then, and then we started, you know, we turned on the delivery tablets, and, and the orders started coming. And it was it was it was quite amazing just to see just by turning the tablet on, mm. the, and the orders just starting to roll in without having done any marketing, you know, yeah. aside from just you know turning the machine on. So it was a you know a bit of a it was a you know, bit of a surprise to see how quickly it, it became successful. And how many how many sites did you do that out of? Uh, so we initially were doing that out of, so we had six sites that we were all running various different takeaway brands from. Mm. Um, we've since moved that on quite considerably and, and um, we've, had to, we've had to change the way that we're operating because the pubs are all now open and trading from their normal kitchen. So um, what we have done is we've actually set up and launched a couple of our own Deliveroo brands. So we've got a brand called Neighbourhood Burgers and another one called Good Times Chicken, and they, so those two, those two brands, they, for the most part, incorporate dishes that are already on our pub menus. So the right. neighbourhood burger is the same burger as you'll get on at the pub. They're spec the same. One goes into a onto a plate and out to a customer. The other one goes into a box and off with a delivery driver. So that's interesting because I was I was going to say you know you set this up in lockdown and I mean Heath you were hustling away in lockdown mm-hmm. and, and doing your own things and I, well two questions here one is why why do it as as a as a separate brand with with someone else rather than do your own thing just answer that one first of all then I'll then I'll come on to you sorry is that a question for me yeah 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 uh, they're all so, going to be for you Rich I'm afraid oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. When we first started out, we had no, we didn't really have any understanding of how it all worked. We didn't have a relationship with Deliveroo. We, we, um, yeah, we were looking for someone to partner with to sort of help us on the journey. And, and that initial, through that initial, um, you know, that initial journey, we sort of thought, well, hang on a minute, why aren't we doing this ourselves? Um, so that was when we really started looking at developing a couple of these brands for ourselves. And, and as the pubs were beginning to reopen, we sort of we saw that as a as a as a well that was going to be it was going to be crucial for the pubs a not to look like chinese takeaways when customers walked in but also you know how are we going to run our our normal menus at the same time as as a as having these chinese takeaways going mm-hmm. on so so we what we did in some cases is we actually invested uh, further and we put in separate kitchens into some of our pubs so we changed you know we we changed layouts in the kitchens we put in other cook lines just so that we could specifically run those takeaway brands but then uh when we we also and for instance one of our pubs the Flintgate in weybridge we when we were when we first opened neighborhood burgers we'd already had we already had the kitchen was doing about two and a half grand a week just so we had a, a Flintgate delivery um so people who uh, over lockdown wanted to support the pub so we had um we had set up the Flintgate on Deliveroo, for instance, and so people could order a limited pub menu from from through Deliveroo for home delivery. Um, then we opened Neighbourhood Burgers, and we thought that we would see a big decline in the Flintgate, but all that happened is we just had this exponential growth through Neighbourhood. Right. So it was it was really it was quite bizarre that you know we thought there would be a lot of crossover and that people would people would get the, the link, but they they didn't and. So you've not cannibalized business from from the pubs then. That's 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 interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, that was a, that was it was it was really interesting. I mean, the the Flintgate, for instance, does we we do about fifteen grand a week 
through just through um, through Deliveroo. Right. Okay. So it's a huge part of the business there. I mean, how, how practical is it to to do? I mean, you said you've had to put new lines in. I mean, like you said, you set this up under under lockdown when you know nothing else was going on. Businesses restart, all the rest of it. I mean, how easy has it been to carry on doing this? And what kind? I mean, it, it sounds it sounds quite. You've had to invest quite a bit to keep it going, though. If you've had to put yeah, new lines in, things like that. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, if you if you asked one of our chefs in the pubs how it's been going, they would probably give you a different answer to the, the answer I'd give you. Because the, I mean, it, it hasn't been it hasn't been plain sailing. I think there's been you know there's sometimes it gets pretty spicy in the kitchen. I mean, it gets spicy in the kitchens anyway, right? But I think you get you know where where, where it really works is when you've got a chef and a GM who are totally aligned and they totally get it and they see the benefit. Um, it obviously takes quite a lot of management in terms of um, delivery drivers, especially when you're doing the volume that we are out of some of our pubs. You, you, got, you almost have a delivery driver um, holding area where they come in and they sit down, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the, that's sort of the, the big disruption to service. But I mean, it's it's not it's not that it's not that big a deal, I suppose. People are used to seeing delivery drivers in some of our pubs now, and and you know some pubs are better better um, set up than others, so they have uh, back doors, for instance, where they can they can just come straight in, but, keep them um, outside with a tradesman's entrance yeah. or something. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Heath, you uh, you pulled a face at uh, that. I mean, your kitchen guys would love this, wouldn't they? I think they would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> we, during lockdown, we we did loads of takeaways, and it was really successful. We stayed away from third party deliveries, and we did it all ourselves, and just. Just so we, we knew the flow to the kitchen, we knew how to deliver, and we'd do it by phone. There'd be no app. We just wanted more control. I'm a bit of a control freak like that, but I didn't want to compromise the quality of our food because we weren't working under. I assume your dark kitchen were using different names. We we yeah, had our, yeah. we had our brand, and we we couldn't you know we couldn't really screw that up by going to delivery and some guy turning up and taking half an hour to get it there, and then we deal with the complaints. So we did deliveries with staff on bikes and cars and motorcycles. So yeah, like. I don't know. It scares me. Like that, that going down there's, that route. There's, there's, I mean, you've got the you. So you've got the brand, and and, and Brendan, you've got the same as well. You know, you've both got brands you want to protect. The unruly pig, the red line of the sun, yep. lockout, whatever it is. Yeah. I guess the, the the advantage of what Rich has done is that they, they well, break the, the link. Brand. Yeah, so yeah. You protect the brand, so you do it as a different. Well, uh, we saw in Haywards Heath. We we were googling down there one day, looking at getting a meal, James and myself, and um, this this place came up and we're like where the hell is this and we googled the address and it was um, Coat restaurant right. group and they've got a different brand they use for deliveries mm. so you know what I mean I think if the consumers really want to look they'll find it but yeah like it makes sense but yeah it, for me yeah I, I, I think the interesting thing is the uh, the demographic here because um, in rural Suffolk with straw in our ears uh, there is no delivery Right. And implicit in your model is, is, is a density of population mm-hmm. um, and, and therefore a, a limit in terms of the radial arm of delivery and etc. Um, and and to, your, to your point, Ed, if uh, I'd gone in and asked uh, Dave Wall, my head chef, uh, I mean, we did takeaways and it was difficult. It was principally to keep a couple of guys going who, who didn't qualify for furlough. But it was a, it was a nightmare for us. And, and also our offering, sort of vaguely Britannian, d- didn't immediately lend itself, didn't immediately lend itself. But, you know, we, we've got 7,000 people. 
living in Woodbridge, which is 10 miles down the road. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I look with awe and interest on the model that's just been described to me because, uh, that, you know, I, I, I get it and it makes sense. And, and, and the, the trajectory of the home deliveries is just shooting upwards. Mm. But for the unruly pig, I think it would have been a brand disaster. Yeah. And, um, Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, very quickly. Um, obviously, when you use the platforms like Deliveroo and Just Eat and things like that, you're effectively, you can launch a brand tomorrow and you're going to benefit from the traffic that goes to that site because they're looking for KFC or they're looking for other things and then you put yourself in the middle of that. I, I completely buy that. How do you make money? Because obviously you give away so much margin to these guys without mentioning specifics. We did look at it. Um, it's pretty brutal. I mean, we did... As Heath said, we did take away delivery ourselves. It wasn't, it was just controlling. We didn't know what we get, but you're giving away a big chunk. Yeah, I suppose there's, well, there's something to be said, you know, I suppose if you're, yeah, pricing is, pricing is pretty, is pretty key. So you have to be able, you have to be able to charge enough money to make it make sense. But I suppose if you think the delivery driver is going to get about the same portion of the value of that dish as a, as a, you know, as your wages, I suppose, for getting the, person to take it out you know it's uh not quite but you know it is yeah it's a it's a it's a healthy chunk and it but it's interesting that the the pubs where it's very very successful gps are still running quite high so there hasn't you know there's not that much of a um of an impact so uh, uh, conscious of time rich i mean what advice would you offer to operators that were considering going to what would be your top tips well, my top tips would be to to set up your own brands um, and to distance your your brands from your from your main brand, I suppose, because mm-hmm. it gives you a it, you know that's, that's, the, that's, that's the whole ethos of the dark kitchen, I suppose, <laughs> is that is that it is it's a brand that exists nowhere apart from apart from Deliveroo or Uber Eats, um, and then keep your ratings high, keep your wait times low, keep the make sure the machines are always on um, whenever you're supposed to be on. Um, and I think get really good photography is the other is the other key the other key thing. You need to make sure that the, that it looks really really strong uh, on on the on the delivery um, homepage. Perfect, brilliant. Okay, well that is all we got time for, Rich. But thank you very much for that. Good stuff. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Rich. Cheers. Thanks, You're listening to the Lock In Podcast with myself, Ed Benton, Heath Ball and James Cuthbertson. We've got Brendan back with us as we're going to be tackling that thorny subject of chefs. But you can't have food without chefs. Well, you can and we call that weather spoons. But chefs are oh, traditional... Well, there goes that sponsorship deal. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit that bit. No, what the hell? It's, uh, uh, Go with one, it, it's true. One of the biggest challenges facing any pub, chefs are one of the biggest challenges facing any pub with a, a food offering. Recruiting them is hard, retaining them even harder, and managing them almost impossible. Or maybe I'm being unfair, Heath. What? Am I being unfair? No. No. I mean, how, how are you managing your chefs? Because, I mean, you spent most of the training journey all the way up whining about them. So uh, No, I look after my people. They get paid very well, and I'm a good employer. I make sure everybody's happy. Don't it's look at me like that. I, I, I don't do. Know. I mean, it's like why they all hate you. I no, mean, I know, like, but they, like my my head chef's been with me since he was a commie chef. That was 13 years ago. My his brother just came on board two years ago. And my manager, like most of my team, my average employer thinks four years. Mm. So now, like that's, they stay. That's good. I get look at like during COVID when it all went wrong. 
everyone got looked after. No one had to worry about staff. I look after my people. You struggle at Lockhart, though. Lockhart's different. I right. think Hayward's Heath's a different proposition. We talked about this on the way up. It's trying... It's The red line's established, but trying to get people in Sussex, chef talent is really, really hard. It's just... I don't know. It's different county, different mentality. It's hard, so we're struggling. We're getting there, but it's... Because I'm not there... Maybe you don't have, you're also relying mainly on... British people in you know outside of London, you've yeah. still got the influx of foreign labour, um, and it, I know it's gone, it's down, but there's just there just isn't that you know people yeah. actually want to work hard. And and Hayward Heath's a different proposition. Mm-hmm. Like if you you move in there, you got kids, you've got you want a house and all that. The guys I've got like they just want to work and make money. Do you know what I mean? And have a nice life in London. They don't want to go and live in the suburbs. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, Brad, what, what's, what's your experience? I mean, you've, you've, as we've touched on, you know, you've been very fortunate. You've uh, found Dave, despite the fact he tends to injure himself on uh, various He occasions. does, and he, he wasn't dancing on the tables at Albert Schloss the <laughs> night before. Yes, he was. <laughs> He said he was. He said everybody that he was. He slipped on the cobbles. What utter bollocks! Um, uh, the, the answer is, I, I absolutely. What uh, James has just said in terms of Sussex resonates because um, I wasn't joking when I said the way London leads, uh, Suffolk follows. But just five years later, I love this county. But that's the reality. Um, it's 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 some of what what uh, Heath talks about because actually, at the end of the day, um, pay. Uh, underpay is a motivator is a demotivator overpaying isn't necessarily a motivator it's it's the soft soft stuff the problem we face is is that my guys were on four days a week as part of that lifestyle balance and feeling appreciated and motivated and of course that's had to go out the window post-covid and with the brexit recruitment crisis why has dave wall and carl green the the head chefs uh, stayed with me for six years well probably because they take neuroleptic medication but if it wasn't if it wasn't neuroleptic medication it was because um I recognise the strengths, I set the philosophy, and he's got autonomy in the kitchen, and he's never had that before. Um, Heath and I were talking about suppliers, and I, I try not to interfere because it's for him to deliver the margin. It may also be because I, I've cut him in on the profits from an early de- stage without capital investment, because I recognise I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much nothing with, without him. And I've got a great leader there, and I happen to genuinely, it's not false modesty, have struck lucky in life. And having recognised that leader, those boys in the kitchen haven't stayed for six years, five years, four years because of me. They've stayed because of Dave. So it's about recognising when I've got onto something good, I did strike lucky. Uh, and that's very difficult if you look at the average shelf life of, of chefs, even pre-COVID. Um, and also um, living to some values. And my former managing partner in my law firm used to sort of talk about these vision and values. And I thought, oh, they're cobblers. Actually, it's not cobblers. But if you try, and it's very difficult to live by some key values of you know, mutual respect and being straightforward, continuous improvement and putting faith on uh, or, or reality to teamwork, um, then that can get you through. And uh, that sounds very immodest. I don't mean it that way i haven't got the magic elixir but i I'm, I've, I've struck lucky but it's because i got the right leader in place mm-hmm. i mean it, it's very different you guys high-end city here less so the red line we won't go into number 16 oh, but 
It's every time. It's a different proposition, Edward. It's a different proposition. Um, I mean, uh, the, the problem that we've had this conversation in the past, with the oh. same with the log cart, uh, you know, it's getting getting chefs that, that sort of stick to. So you have a chef; they want to do their own thing. Yeah. You want them to do what you. Yeah, want I'm di- them that's where I'm probably different because I know what I want. Mm. And I, would, I used to have, over the years, I'd have chefs come in and they'd write menu and I'd sit there and go, fuck, I'm not, I'm not happy with this, but yeah. you've got to give them their free reign yeah. and they'd go off and you'd be there and you'd be looking like purple mashed potato one yeah. day on a plate and you go, what yeah. the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, when, when Matus, who's my, cur- nice. my current head chef, we, we were going through head chefs all the time and I was trying to find the right person and he said to me, listen, boss, just tell me what you want to do, I'll do it. You write the menu, you do the creative stuff, and I'll just cook it. And he's a great cook. He's not creative. So I write menu with him. We sit down, and we all get together, and we have a chat, and we talk about dishes. And I understand what the customers want from a front of house perspective. So I can go to the kitchen. And then my wife's also a chef. So I can talk to everybody there, and I'll go, oh, let's do that. And they go, Heath, you're mad. I think your wife's a chef. Yeah. Some of the meals I've had lately, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> um, but I could go to them, and I go, this is what I'm thinking for a menu. Well, let's do this. And they'd go, no, because that's too much on the grill section. The large section is going to suffer desserts are going to fall down so they but over time I've learned but since I've started doing that that's when we've started winning awards and we've, we've started doing really well but that's why I think it works because we understand each other and we have an understanding of what you know he looks at me sometimes my head chef and looks at me like You're fuck- no we're not doing that it's too much and, and, and what's canny about that without meaning to patronise mm-hmm. that's a replicable model and um, and not that his head chef is about to move on implicitly yeah. what he's just said but actually that's a replicable model whereas if my head yeah. chef moved on you say that, but we've tried to replicate it down at the Lockhart. And, and that's where you're struggling. That's where we're struggling. Oh, I see. Yeah, we're trying okay. to say... But, but you're employing, maybe, this, and this, we've had this discussion, mm. and it's a valid point, that you're, you're recruiting chefs rather than... You said it yourself. Mm. Uh, you, you got the red to cook rather than a chef. No, he's sure a sh- he, no, he's a, I'd love... I'd, I'd, we should get him on and ask him... No, he he's a proper... Like, but he's classically trained. He, like, he's a proper but he's chef. But to cook. But, but yeah, but he's... But he, so, un- but he understands. So rather than chefs, but he's not creative. No, he's a chef, but he's not creative. But so he gets. Not got the ego. He's, yeah, he's got the ego. There's no ego. Right. I'll say, let's do that, and you'll go, yeah, cool, that's a great idea. I love okay. cooking cockavan. Do you know what I mean? He's not there going, I want to show everybody the world. He's not that. Yeah. Like he's the guy. He's like, okay, let's have a chat. Cool, let's do that. Yeah. In a, in a non-pejorative sense, he's very commercial. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it works. Much. That's a great asset. Wow. And that must be fairly unique, then, because that's what you need in a Lockhart, isn't it? Yeah, but you, we're you trying to do that at a Lockhart, and, and it doesn't work. Because we're going down to these young guys, and we're saying, okay, this is what this dish we want you to do. And they go, yeah, yeah. And they look at it, and they go, yeah, yeah, fuck that. I'll change that. Uh, they'll go, I'll change that. Right. Do you know what I mean? I'll do it a bit differently. Or I don't need to cook it for three hours. I cook it for two hours. Yeah. And you're dealing with that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's the hard part when you're trying to basically copy red and drop it into another another site but maybe a smaller that, that, but do you think that, that's a, a, an endemic problem in the industry though that we're, we're, we're recruiting the wrong kind of chefs when when if you're cooking to a formula and this doesn't apply to you Brandon because you're doing anything yeah, but, but if you're on, in a more but, mainstream on, but, but, but you also but you say things. that but then you're relying on the owner and I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass but you're relying on the owner having an understanding of food and a lot of owners who get into yeah. this trade don't have an understanding yeah. about food mm-hmm. and they just want to sell good food and they're quite happy yeah. and they don't want to deal with the, the suppliers, the chefs, and the headache, and they won't question stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they won't question that. So yeah. you need a ho- yeah. you need an owner that's engaged, and then Brendan doesn't have to. You man, well done. Like you've got man, my dream. Leave the guys to it, and you're lucky, and you, they understand you. You've got the perfect synergy of you know owner, 
business partner or chef the relationship and getting that you know these things we're talking about are unique they are really unique yeah. from, from yeah, Brendan's like there's also been a massive change and you, I think it's a generational thing whereby if you take Matus for example take your brigade now Heath many mm. of them would have been through the traditional classic you know you're yeah, going to do are, this yeah. for a year and that yeah. for a year so they've, had, they've done the, they've done the kind of national service if you like in yeah. terms of chefs the problem we had or have whether it's right or wrong I'm not arguing the point of whether it's right but there's a softer element now where they want to be head chef tomorrow yeah, yeah absolutely they have their own about the bills mm. and then also because they've not done the hard yards they feel very empowered they feel very important everything's on the telly chef's a cool thing to be uh, but they've not done the hard yards to see it they don't understand that, you know, how to run a business at all so all of a sudden you're dealing with people that just you know well, get him to, get in, James it. get them to make stock making stocks properly yeah. you know it's an old that's, yeah, that's classic you know, chefing. Yeah. And they look at you like you're oh, nuts. Really? Oh, what, you want us to get that big yeah. pot off the stove and you want us to put bones and you want us to do yeah. that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's... It's it's definitely a, a big issue going forward. But then, if you think about most of the things we do, they're very, you know, leans on great ingredients, great suppliers, um, heavier prep than, than cooking on the day as such. You know, get, get it right. But even so, it's still harder. But I do think it's going to be harder this generation to get that well, they don't want to work I sound like I'm sound like my granddad now but they they, well, they want to work four days a week and they want to do really easy stuff and they they want to show off and they want to come out in their chef whites and say alright everybody and that, that's someone's cleaned out for them yeah like it, the world's I'm serious I mean, yeah. I, I, but the, the and the, the dual problem as well of course you know we've got less chefs <laughs> premium prices now mm. I mean we talked about some you mentioned a head chef at one restaurant we were named who being paid 350,000 mm. I mean that's is mind-boggling sums mm. of money. Very different. We're not talking about those kinds of sums of pubs, but within within reason, you know, it, it, it's not uh, too different. Pubs are having to pay premiums. Oh, people are paying a lot of money and now. And we've been talking about this for a long time, but it's getting worse. But the problem is, worse. people are people are outbidding each other almost and, and poaching people yeah. and paying them crazy amounts well, yeah. of money. Well, the go- the government and 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 and. and the buffoon Boris's suggestion about a, a, white, a high wage economy. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, it's a high wage economy or a higher wage economy for the reasons you, you, you cited, mm. because everybody is outbidding each other. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, it's supply and demand. Mm. And that will continue when de facto we've got 100% in, uh, employment and yeah. you know, 63% mm. of chefs were East European. And it's just going to go on like that. And it's really relentless and the highest bidder will win yeah. uh, until that's, that's actually the, the local market it says that those that pricing is unsustainable yeah sorry the racist the, ra- the racist vote that was brexit and, and 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 these foreigners coming in yeah that's cost of, and that's that's the real cost here it it's is racist britain james just just remind that. us what you voted on brexit <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh i'll tell you he didn't vote <laughs> oh james oh Jesus. He didn't have time. He was James. watching us here. No, I was um, I was playing golf. <laughs> of course you were. I had to pick his own balls up. There was no one there for it. Let, let him make the point. He's got I'm the valid point. I'm he doesn't have a leg to stand on. But, um, go on. Um, thank you, Ed. And um, your wife's very disappointed here that uh, you made that up today. <laughs> well, what, was, what was your point, James? <laughs> Someone's reading too much slow gin at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, the fun we don't have. 
Maybe, <laughs> maybe on that note, we'll uh, we'll park that one there. I think we can discuss the chef conundrum till the cows come home. Yep. There's no obvious solutions uh, unless you have one, Brendan. No, I have solution. no solution. Uh, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that it's 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 supply and demand. And when we had so many, there are double the hospitality vacancies pre-COVID, pre-Brexit, QED. Yeah. End of story. There is no solution. Heath, magic bullet. Make every kid work in hospitality. Yeah, national that one. Yeah, that's it. I Make bet. them all work. James, play golf. No what Heath said. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's sulking. Right. Anyway, let's uh, let's <laughs> let's end that one there. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast and we are at the end of this week's episode. We've had a fantastic time at the Unruly Pig. The food was magnificent. Thank you, Brendan. You're very well. Uh, we've shown the pictures to James. He's uh, delighted. He was, how, you, you were talking about the food you were eating, James. Uh, yeah, I'll just say that my wife made a sandwich for lunch and it's so bad that I'm going to set a trip advisor up my house <laughs> just to sleep and just really get this off my chest. Because it's honestly it's embarrassing, James. I, I, this I, I, in today's modern age, I think you're big enough and old enough to make your own sandwiches. I was going to say, why is she it's making disgusting? You I know you're a bit poorly, but you still managed. Oh, he's to got, drive. he's got, he's got man COVID. Yeah. It's, it's like man flu times yeah. a thousand. Yes, yeah. I think she rushed it because she had the ironing to do. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, wow. So International Women's Week went well. Yeah, it did. Uh, let's uh, right, gloss, over, gloss over that. Jeez. Um, oh, my God. Um, oh, I does, James has been cancelled, by the way. I mean, to be fair, no one ever listens to the answer. We're fine. It's, yeah. uh, it's all right. The three listeners we have. We probably may have lost one. The one that does make it to the end, might, we might have lost that. I mean, you mentioned TripAdvisor, James, so thank you very much for that cue. That wasn't set up at all. Um, TripAdvisor has, has uh, we've talked about this, but let's talk about within relation to the topic we're talking about, food. I mean, Brendan, you, you won number one on the top 50 gastropubs. You've had some interesting reviews. In interesting sense. is, uh, is a naturally a euphemism. As Marina <laughs> O'Loughlin from the Times call it shit advisor, and as Giles Corrin calls it crap advisor, um, uh, the sad... That shows the lack of wit. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with... Um, the sad truth is this, is as uh, as 36 years as a litigation solicitor, you would think I'd have thick skin. I did, but I don't. And I've stopped listening or reading because actually some of those got to me and they actually made me, at times, and I shouldn't admit to this, but this is the truth, uh, think, what am I doing in this industry to get that level of personal abuse? Now, my wife would say, perhaps it's deserved. Um, <laughs> my wife would say the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But setting aside that it has seriously upset my wife. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, um, I've got to stand back from it and say, and I've stopped reading it, and my life has got better uh, as a result. And the reality is, it comes with the territory. That's not to excuse the abuse, mm. but we are in a different society. Social media is inevitably brought with it the trolls in every which way but loose. And, and, and whether you're a celebrity or a chef or whatever, it's a sad factor of, of life. So I can only say I deal with it now by not looking at it, and I was restored in my faith in that judgment by Tom Kerridge saying he hasn't looked at it for 12 years. Now, that may say to the troller, and even to the average punter, you, well, you're just arrogant if 
you're not prepared to listen to criticism. Actually, I am prepared to listen to criticism, and although it sounds very big-headed, I'm, I think I am, I hope I am, I believe I am reasonably self-aware. Um, but there comes a point where it, it got to me, and, uh, and I admire the, the, the Heath in all sorts of ways, and, and then another way in which I admire him is that he just suffers no shit on this, and responds accordingly and I met somebody in the boozy the other day and they said oh we're disappointed you you're obviously no longer responding because your responses just used to make us howl because they were so measured and you just demolished them and whilst that made me feel a bit better did that actually make the average troll feel any better did it not just perpetuate the problem I don't know I don't know half of me says you should stand up to bullies Heath you do this really well I can't be mate honestly screw them if they're going to sit there, like, I read these comments and I know it's full of shit. And I know if we've done something wrong, I'll go, right, I'm really, yeah, exactly. really, I'm really, really sorry. We screwed up. We know that. But a lot of the time we've got, you know, we're conscious of what we're doing wrong. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get it at the table. We'll sort it out. But when they sit there I mean, and they've gone over on CCTV, like some kind of communist state, haven't you? I mean, I've got those ones where you sit the whole meal. So. 12.05, your friend stood up. Yeah, like you're doing Hello. as well. Welcome to, welcome to my <laughs> Moscow, because yeah. I've got them here too. Yeah. And Padfield Putin will quote back the CCTV, including the very, very nice consultant paediatrician, who perhaps I should name, who came in and said recently, the meal for six that cost 120 quid was, uh, 106 quid was overpriced, but at the time said it was very lovely, thanked the waitress, left a tip, and then sent me a, de- a letter with menaces and demands the next day. And when I refused to actually abide, because I went through, you actually ate everything, you cleared the plate, and he said it was all lovely, then sent in the EHO. So we had an inspection la- last week. But I'm pleased to say... Fine colours? Yes. See, I'd find out where they worked. (laughs) (laughs) I would would hunt them down and I would make their life shit. Pizza deliveries to their house? I'm a bit more more, like clever than that. I'd be proper. Don't worry. Darker. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's the deal with that, right? So they've gone to all that bother and caused me that hassle. Yeah. It's a bit like in super it's a bit like in supermarkets that if you're an underage kid trying to get booze to a supermarket checkout, the checkout lady, boy, whatever, they're the one that gets charged, not the person knowingly causing the aggro, right? Yeah. So these people, if they then get the EHO out and they spend and you spend time responding all the rest of it, they should charge them for it. I yeah. mean seriously, they're absolute nutcases and they make an, a hobby of it. Just pissing people off. So um, the, the, the good people that complain are the people that email you and say it wasn't quite... Yeah, they do it. It's revenge, James, a weaponized TripAdvisor. Yeah, it's it revenge. We, we, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Generally speaking, if you're that angry about... Uh, it's not even that. I mean, some of them are. I mean, for me, I say, if I, I don't generally leave reviews... I, I, you should if I have a great, in. If I have a great experience, I'll leave, a, I'll leave yeah. a good review. I don't leave bad reviews. Unless I'm really, really... I've had such a bad experience. And then I'm letting myself down, because it is you revenge. You are letting yourself it down. It is revenge. Like I say, I don't do it. Maybe I've done it once or twice, mainly on your pub. But uh, <laughs> pictures of the Thai girls, they were amazing. Um, the, the was that you? <laughs> that, that, that review is so shit. I'm, 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 I'm arguing with, I'm, I've argued so much with TripAdvisor now, I've got legals going at them. No, that's, was, can that's I just saying, get on the record? It wasn't me, and that's my... Uh, this guy's made this fake review, and I've gone, it's, gone, it's gone so bad, I've got my mate... 
who who deals in this sort of stuff, defamation of character, who's looked at it, and now I'm I'm, I'm sending legal letters to TripAdvisor to get the review taken down, and they won't take it down. I given my former background, I had an exchange with the general counsel in California, TripAdvisor, and the long and the short of it was said, yeah, I can see that you've proved four fifths of the uh, blackmail charges, but I can't see you've got negative proof of the one fifth, so I'm publishing anyway. I would say. It's hopeless. But what, what it probably needs is somebody with more balls than me, Heath, like you. As an ex-litigator, I should just go for it and actually sue. The problem is, in my previous life, what will happen is the papers will print day one and day two of the trial. And they won't finish I, the rest of it. And they won't finish the rest of it when you win. But the, but the thing is, yeah, <coughs> if I call Heath a twat... Yeah. Oh, shit, I've just done it. Yeah. If I, if I printed that yeah. or published it on yeah. the website, he could see me for yeah. affirmation. Yeah. probably see me for this, to be fair. I don't get any no, ideas. But I, I take twat. Twat's good. There is the defence of truth and justification. The, exactly. <laughs> well, that is my defence, and I'm sticking to it. But generally speaking, if I printed something untrue and, and defamatory about Heath, he can see me, and it's all above me all. People can put stuff on TripAdvisor, well, which, which, which like, he's saying, like he's saying, fully defamatory, full defamation of yeah. total defamation of character, and TripAdvisor just going, no, we're not taking it down. No. I don't understand why our members, you know what they said, you know what they said to me, I can be held accountable. Ed, you know what they said to me, they said our members have the right to be anonymous yeah. and they got the right to say what they want. I yeah. said, they're implying basically yeah, that, that doesn't circumvent the law. The, the this law is what I'm saying. They're basically providing an anonymous platform yeah. for people to defame other people. Mm. That in itself is wrong. Should you have to, I think you should be asked what did. What, what gives the right to list your business? What gives the right to give the platform on your business? You've got to opt in or opt out. Yeah, you're not allowed. Then it would sort yeah. out. I mean, we, we, uh, to be fair, we we're, 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 we're drifting into an yeah, entire... Yeah. And we probably should review this. We have talked about it in a month, but maybe you should come back to it at some point. I mean, the, the, the point of this, though, was success tends to attract... Freaks. Lunatics, doesn't hey, it? Hey, you know, sorry, who? Me? No. Keith, <laughs> um, this is the problem with you being on that. Keith, um, I mean, you had success. You, you were the Great British Pub of the Year. God knows how you did that, but you were the Great British Pub of the Year at the time. You know, you then attract lunatics. Well, you've always yeah, attracted they, lunatics. You know You're a prick it? magnet. We've yeah, but you know what it is, Ed? They so. come in with expectations, and they have an expectations of what the Great down. British Pub of the Year oh, looks right. like. And they go, oh, it's not like the old boozer used to drink in the 70s. Of course it's not. The world's moved on. You know, Brennan coming number one. You're going to attract freaks. So they're going is, to come is here. That it, then? We've elevated you guys to, the, to, to a your fault. That you can't, well, is it, it my it, fault? It, no, it's my therapist. It's, it's not your fault because uh, <laughs> gladly, I, I, my ego is such that I love to be elevated, Ed. So, so sorry about that. Uh, elevate me all the, all the more you can. Um, isn't part of this also the, 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 the British character as opposed to the Californian character that they um, like to pull down success yeah, as yeah. opposed to talk up success yes. and I'm wonderful well, we, at everything? We call it yes. the tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand and Australia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the taller you get, the more they want to cut you. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's Australian, so he knows. Um, he's New Zealand. That's what I deal with. That's, that's like a Welshman calling somebody Scottish, isn't it? That's why we yeah. keep doing it. It's yeah, great. Okay. It's funny. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the classic thing. So we love an underdog in, in the yeah. UK, but we, we, yeah. we don't like success. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, let, let's part that one there. Thank you very much, uh, Brandon, for Absolute your time. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Heath and James, thanks. Um, <laughs> Such a well, prick. It's, it's for, for this episode of the Logging Podcast. Just while the, well the money's good. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I paid for that coffee the other day, James. <laughs> listen, listen, when are you supposed to talk about the bike ride? 
You we were supposed to talk about <laughs> I love the fact that you're actually keeping me on message. But yeah, let's give congratulations to the guys who did the pedaling for pubs. They did um, over sort of, uh, I think it was 350 kilometres across Jordan from the uh, Dead Sea to the Red Sea, raised £250,000 for the LTC and only a payment way, which, which is fantastic. Heath, I've signed you up for it next year. Don't sign me up. Uh, Brendan. <laughs> I'm only doing it if Brendan does it. <laughs> Listen, a cardiac arrest en route is not going to be a lovely thing. I'd sign James up, but he'd come down with COVID, so we won't uh, work Listen, in the middle. I just want to say uh, congratulations to our very own Chris Lowe. Ed, I'm trying to keep your job uh, for completing it as well. <laughs> yeah, but he was You're terrible at writing the blog, so um, I'd, he's, he's, an if he was a reporter, I'd have sacked him. But there we go. Uh, that is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um, thanks to all the guests for getting involved. We will be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. And um, with the weather starting to warm up, we're going to be taking a look at outdoor spaces and some of the issues around that. Don't forget to subscribe and like and share and tune in next time. Mm-hmm.